In the world of AI news, there is a little bit of a spat going on with Elon Musk and multiple other artificial intelligence companies. Most of you may not know this, but Elon Musk has had his hand in the major players of these artificial intelligence companies. He's pulled himself away from the big ones, including ChatGPT, and he's got his new one. And it's an interesting thing because now these artificial intelligence things, these, these artificial intelligence major software companies, they're communicating with each other. The computers are. And one of the things that Elon Musk just recently did was just denied a request from ChatGPT. Someone typed in or spoke something into their computer and said, I want to cause harm to another computer company, another IT company. And I'm just condensing their words. And Elon Musk's Grok company, Grok AI, responded with, our programs and policies will not allow us to do any type of malware or anything like that. So there's a debate going on right now about Elon Musk and his control and actually what's being borrowed from each company. So each artificial intelligence company builds their platform and the other artificial intelligence companies are actually going in and stealing everything from the others. And they're telling the computers to do this so that they can stay ahead of each other. <clears throat> so it's a very interesting conglomeration of chaos that's going on in the world of AI news. I um, thank God that we get to talk about things beyond artificial intelligence today. That's what our message series is. When things don't make sense, God's word still does. We're in Proverbs. I want to remind you that we previously, you'll see this slide up behind me, had a, a title, God's Warnings Against Sexual Deviance, Part 1. That was back a month ago. But I also warned you that we would be covering that subject a lot. Today is not Part 2, but it does cover similar things. Proverbs Chapter 7, God's, wor God's Warnings Against the Sexual Deviant. So it's a good thing we dismiss the littles. Proverbs chapter 7, verse 1 begins, My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Now I want you to pay attention to a couple of things. It starts with my son. Once again, Solomon is appealing to a child's instinct to listen to a father's wisdom. We think of Rehoboam when he's specifically talking about one son. Keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. So they're important. Value them. Keep my commandments and live Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Let's look at that apple of your eye piece. You'll see it underlined up behind me. The Hebrew, you'll see it come up on the screen behind me. The way you say it is, Yoshon Ayin. Now, that doesn't mean anything to you. So here's the definition. It actually is literally translated eye pupil, 
or the dark part of the eye. So if we literally translate it, it would be keep my teaching as the eye pupil. And if we read that, we'd be thinking, what is that? And it, this happens several times in our Old Testament. It's not a colloquial, uh, it's not a colloquial uh, phrase. It's not a colloquial expression. It's actually the way people have referred to the pupil, apple of my eye. It started in the ninth century AD as the pupil, the apple of my eye. What is the pupil? Well, light enters through the pupil. It's controlled by the iris, but it enters through the pupil. So I have in my, as Peyton calls these pants, purse pockets, or purse pants. One of my multiple ones, so if you dare, look at me, and I'm going to shine this right across your eyes. Is that, you know what's just happening? You know what's happening to your eyes? Is the pupil is closing up because that's a lot of light coming into your eyeball. So the iris controls the pupil and then says, oh, that's plenty of light, and so it cuts back. So not too much light goes in and you don't end up seeing spots, you know. And what happens in the dark is that if there's a small amount of light, for instance, if we turned off all the lights, sheltered us from all other external sources of light, including the windows and the doors, and only had one of these candles lit, your eyes would adjust because your iris would control the pupil, the pupil would let in, it would open up and let in more light. Then you could see better. It's what happens if you notice when you walk into a dark room, you don't see very well at first, but if you let your eyes adjust, you begin to see better. And that's the pupil that's letting light in. So understand this when you read this, keep my commandments and live, keep my teaching as the apple of your eye, keep my teaching as the thing that will shed light on things, the, things that, the thing that will provide depth and perspective in your understanding of why things are the way they are. We used to have a dog that was so smart and it was explained to me this way by um, an expert of dogs that some dogs are really smart. You can teach them tricks. You can command them to do things, and they'll just do it. And other dogs are extra smart. You tell them to do something, and they look at you, and like they're saying with their expression on their face because they're thinking, why? Some people think that's uh, associated with intelligence, but I gotta tell you, I know the difference in the response to directives when you give them to males versus females. In the prison system, of which I have some experience, if you give a male a directive, there could be a varied response you really don't know. But I'm telling you that when I worked in our two only female prisons in this state, Every time a directive was given in front of me or I was giving a directive to a female, there was the exact same response without fail. Why? Some people associate that with intelligence. I don't know if that's the case, but that's the response. I went to my core training, and when I went to my core training, they, a guy got up in front of the room and he said, do you know the difference between a big difference in the male prisons and the female prisons as to the response when you give a directive. And I raise my hand and I go, why? 
<laughs> and he goes, exactly. Because that's what happens. I don't know why, but I do wonder. Then it says to bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. So don't forget is what he's saying and make it part of your emotion, not just your mind. Be passionate about the things that are given to you as wisdom. That's what God our Father is saying through Solomon the Father. Verse 4 and 5. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend, to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress, with her smooth words. Pay attention to a lot that's going on here. First, I'll give you the Hebrew word. Literally translated, the forbidden woman is the strange woman. And the literal Hebrew for adulteress is foreign woman. Isn't that interesting that the Hebrew word for adulteress is literally translated foreign woman. And when you read contextually, you'll understand why it's translated that way. But I want you to pay attention to uh, that part about you are my sister. Once again, an important reminder. Wisdom is personified as a woman. But we're supposed to stay away from the woman who is forbidden, the woman who is an adulteress as well. We'll pick up with verse 6. For at the window of my house, I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. Now, there's a lot here as well. But in observation, the king has noticed a young man who lacks sense. It's almost as if, if we fast forward to today, he might, he might say, I looked out my window and I saw... Every young man who lacks sense. It just seems like more and more we have less and less common sense. But he sees a particular young man who lacks sense, also referred to as the simple. Someone who doesn't want to think about consequences, doesn't want to think about the, the fact that we need accountability. Simple person, just living life without any care, a carefree person, passing along the street near her corner. Now, see, now we begin to see this is talking about an adulteress. In fact, it's particularly referring to the illusion, at least at this point, the prostitute. The proverbial prostitute that even in Solomon's time stood on the corner. Why? Because you're more visible. Because anybody who's coming from any direction can see you if you're on the corner. If you move down the street, only people going down that street see you. You go to the corner, and now people down all four streets can see you. So then you're able to drum up business. I got myself in trouble as a young man, starting out as a preacher. It's my second church. And I stood in front of the congregation, and I said, let me ask you this. If you were to tell 
If you were to, to try to look the part and act the part of a prostitute, what would that be like? Would it be wear clothes that are revealing? Would it be wear heavy makeup? And would it be standing a certain way, maybe smacking gum? I mean, you know, pretty much everybody at that point in time, this is, understand this is 30 plus years ago, but pretty much everybody had seen, in movies at least, what the proverbial prostitute looked like, what they wore, and how they acted. Uh, maybe they would have their hand on their hip. You know, just different things. You would just imagine the prostitute in a movie or in real life. Imagine what she would dress like, what she would look like, smack her gum, heavy makeup, uh, a low-cut top high-cut skirt. And then what I got myself in trouble for is I said, now, how are we allowing our daughters to dress and act? It got me in trouble. So I said it softer to you. <laughs> so think about this. If how we would imitate a prostitute is how we are having our daughters dress and act, do we have a problem? Do we want our daughters to be thought of that way? So clearly, Solomon is describing a prostitute. I want you to notice this as well, that the individual takes the road to her house. So he follows her to where she is going to commit the sinful act. And he does it in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. Now we started with, remember the apple of my eye, the, the apple of my eye meaning the pupil that lets in light, so it provides depth and perspective, and you can actually see things. But no, 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 the one who is simple and lacks sense will sneak around in the dark where there's no depth and perception. There's no um, light shine, shining on what's going on. No, it's done in secret. Like the individual who wants to look at inappropriate things on his cell phone or his tablet or his computer. It's done when nobody's looking over his shoulder. But remember, Solomon said he saw this. God wants us to understand that he is our father. He sees it all. The closer you get to God, the more you don't try to do things you think you can get away with because he's always watching and you don't want to displease our father. And behold, verse 10 and following, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute. Wily of heart, she is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. The Hebrew word here for wily of heart, actually translated literally, would be guarded in heart. So the woman who meets him dressed as a prostitute is loud and wayward. What does that mean? It's another translation might say defiant. 
What that means is the description of the prostitute is that she is she's sneaky, but yet she is also loud. It's one of those things that we've got to get away from as a society, especially in our church. We would never want any woman who is in our church trying to represent God mistaken as a prostitute. And a description by God is that she is loud and defiant. So it is not bragging rights for any woman to say, yeah, I'm loud. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. That is not godly. In fact, if you read in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4, it says, But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And this follows on the heels of Peter saying, Don't get your beauty from outer adornment. Let it be not coming from your outer adornment. Now, I've been a part of churches where there's a women's group, and if a woman comes in who is wearing makeup and she's dressing nice, gets they have, they have an impromptu Bible study that reminds everyone, hey, we can't take care of ourselves. We can't look nice because that's just bad. That's not what Scripture teaches. It's saying that's not where your beauty comes from. You can do those things. In fact, you should, men and women, you should do whatever you can to maintain your attractiveness to your spouse. If you don't, you're going to cause yourself some problems. <clears throat> but it's not saying don't do these things. Don't, don't wear fine jewelry. It's not saying don't, don't beautify yourself. It's saying your beauty comes from a different place. And it specifically says, a gentle and quiet spirit. And it goes on to describe, this is how the women of old adorned themselves. They had inner beauty. Some of the most beautiful women you will ever meet are godly women. There goes my mic. All right. I'll just speak loud because I'm being recorded. But uh, whoever's in the lobby can't hear me. Sorry about that. But the most, some of the most beautiful women that you'll ever meet, you'll discover their beauty does not come from the outside. In fact, it emits from the inside, and it makes that person beautiful all the way around. If you meet a person that is just beautiful on the outside, but is downright ugly to the bone on the inside, she ain't pretty. She, she loses her prettiness because she's ugly on the inside. And that's the way God sees it, and that's the way we should if we want to please the Lord. Proverbs chapter 7, verses 13 and following continues. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored, in, colored linens from Egyptian linen, which even today is considered fancy. The Hebrew word here for sacrifices is peace offerings. Understand what's going on here. She is lying and deceiving him. 
She is making him think, I had to go do my spiritual things. I'm a spiritual person. So it's okay if you come and commit sinful acts with me because I did spiritual things. We're the same. We both do spiritual things. What's happening is she's trying to pretend to be a spiritual person when really she's a very sinful person not living for the Lord. And then she tries to entice him. My bed is ready. I got special linens on my bed. It's okay because we both go to church. We both read the Bible. We, we, we sing spiritual songs. We listen to Christian music. It'll be okay if we do this. We're the same. She's sneaking around. She's acting. She's pretending to be something she's not. That's not okay. But remember, he lacks sense. He doesn't see through it. He doesn't connect the dots. Well, wait a minute. If you're doing spiritual things, why are you trying to ask me to do unspiritual things? You don't seem so spiritual to me now. No, no, no. You see, what's happening is he's got some emotional feelings coming on. He's got this testosterone building in him because now he is attracted to her because she's doing things to be attractive. And he's not even connecting the dots. So the first thing made her attractive was that she's, she's spiritual too. No, she's not. She's just telling you that so that she gets your attention. Now that she's got your attention, she's going to sink that hook even more and get you to commit to sin with her. It continues the verse 17. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. It's an interesting thing here we just learned. She's married. So it's a sin already because they're crossing the lines of the boundaries of marriage God has clearly established in his word. But then she crosses even more lines because not only is she a fornicator, she's an adulterer. She's married. Her husband's going to be away for a while, so she's figured out we have time. And she gives him the timeline. There's plenty of time. He won't be back for a while. But I want you to notice something else. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. I want you to know, as people here, my brothers and sisters in Christ, I have found a cheaper cologne. Mizen de Orient. I don't know if you've heard of this company. They have over 500 different scents, so you can really have fun with this. It is a Middle Eastern company. But they put out some nice cologne. I'll show you one of which behind me. You see that? Ooh, that looks fancy. It's a very small amount. And you can get it now if you act now for only $279 for that tiny little bottle of fancy cologne from Maison d'Orient. Now, I looked up a while back um, something that I found quite interesting that um, I actually found it in Men's Health Magazine. I used to subscribe to it probably 30 years ago. And I'm reading different articles in it. And one of the articles said that 
there were, they did a study, they had a bunch of men and women sniff different scents to see which ones were um, most appealing. So, and then they gave us the conclusion of the two most appealing scents for both men and women, and all kinds of scents were included. And the two, there were two that were tied for number one. That's why they told everyone, here's the top. One of them was cucumber. The second one, which tied for cucumber, was cinnamon. Isn't that weird? So apparently, if you're going to wear something that makes you have a pleasant smell to either gender, cucumber or cinnamon, that's, that's your win right there. And then I found that another one is vanilla. And then I learned that, <laughs> that both vanilla and cinnamon in our food, and not only in our food, but in perfumes, they used to use a particular ingredient. And I'm going to tell you what that is right now. It's called castorium. You'll see it up behind me. It has been used for vanilla and raspberry scents and flavors for a long time. Not cinnamon, but uh, vanilla and raspberry. I keep getting that confused. So, yes, they have put this in your food, and they've put this in perfumes. And it's pretty rare to go in food now. They only use, I think, about 300 pounds annually of this stuff in perfumes and in, or I'm sorry, in foods today. It is approved by the FDA, and it is extracted from the, near the beaver anal glands. That is no joke. That is for real. So some people have put a little bit of beaver anal glands behind their ears, and some people have put it in their mouth. Be careful when you're eating anything with raspberry flavoring because it actually says all-natural flavoring when sometimes it's castorium. I'm just saying. I do want to talk about the cinnamon, though. Maison de Orient on their website says this. It has spicy notes. Uh, I'm just talking about particular spicy uh, scents. Spicy notes in a fragrance such as cinnamon, ginger, frankincense, and myrrh. Myrrh was also mentioned here in our Bibles can warm up even the coolest of nights. The scents evoke memories of baking, especially holiday baking, and warm memories for many women, which can be a powerful turn-on. In fact, cinnamon has long been thought to generate sexual arousal in both men and women. And if you, when you just read that or heard that, automatically are thinking, oh my goodness, where can I get some of that? you are on the verge of being a sinful person. Why would you want to put something like that on to arouse someone else? Unless you're married and it's for your spouse only. You shouldn't go there if you're not married and be thinking, I want to wear this around other people. Verse 17, I'm going to read this again. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Oh my goodness, so myrrh and cinnamon. We know those are both things that draw people's sexual senses. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning and let us delight ourselves with love. Just in case you don't know, this has nothing to do with love, but everything to do with lust. But she's saying the words so that it sounds more appealing. She's trying to convince him that these feelings that he has of lust, oh, that's love. That's not lust. 
For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. So he's going to be out spending money. He's going to be killing all this time. This young man that he sees that has no sense, that is so simple, does not understand this is not love. Raging hormones, that is not love. That is lust. It gets in the way of love. Be careful. Continues, verse 21. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. At all at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Now, the Hebrew word here you see on the footnote, caught fast, probably is better rendered this way, but literally it's as a chain to discipline a fool. The idea is that this young man is falling for a trap, but he doesn't know it. He's a spiritual man. He, he has been taught the things of God. He knows what he should do to please the Lord. And she says the right words. She adorns herself the right way and gets her bed ready and all these things. And this attraction to her supersedes his knowledge of God. She convinces him that she's just like him. She's a spiritual person too, but she is not. She has an ulterior motive. And she persuades him. And he doesn't realize this will cost him his life. Meaning, it's a trap and it will lead him away from the Lord. Just as the animals that are caught in traps are drawn to what lures them there, they don't realize it's a trap until they're trapped or dead. The bird will fly to the trap because there is something there that is appealing to the bird. It doesn't pay attention to the fact that it's a snare. It doesn't notice that all this is setting around it so that when it does land, it's trapped because the cheese in the trap is so appealing to the mouse. So it is with a young man who lacks sense or any man who lacks sense or any woman who lacks sense who is being enticed sexually. I want to remind you of a book I've recommended several times already, The Marshmallow Test, based on the marshmallow studies at Stanford University that was done in the 70s by Alfred Michel. This is essentially a study on delayed gratification. It would do you well to read this book if you struggle with impulsiveness. At the store, when you check out, they have all these things on one side and all these things on the other side. They might even have some other things like in bins or something as you walk to check out. You never thought you needed them when you went to the store until you passed by them. Oh, I need this. I need that. Maybe you've seen a child throwing a tantrum in the impulse aisle. They want a candy bar or whatever it is they want and they want it now. 
Why? Because they're in the impulse aisle. That's put there for a reason. They know people are going to do this. And you might marvel at the fact that the child throws a fit and, and then the parent says, no, you're not getting it until the child gets louder and louder and louder. And finally, the parent says, okay. And then they buy it. So the child learns, if I throw a fit, I'll always get my way. And then they become an adult and we have to deal with them in church. People who think they always have to get their way. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. And we marvel at this and we talk about this. And the reality is sometimes it's us. Sometimes we're the ones that fall for the traps, the impulsiveness. It's one of those things I try to do well at it, but I don't always do that well. I try to set myself this rule. If you think you need something, wait three days before you purchase it. You ever done this? It's, it's a good practice if you stick to it. Helps you to not be so impulsive. And it's a very good practice to teach kids because, you know, kids automatically think if you give them a dollar, they want to spend it as soon as they get it or even before they get it. I'll give you a dollar if you do this, then they're going to figure out how many different ways they can spend that dollar. And it's gone just as soon as they've got it. And if you can teach them not to be impulsive, they end up, they can learn to save their money. But I want to remind you about this book because in the book, the conclusion is you can learn self control. You can learn to delay gratification. You don't have to have instant gratification. Just because you're hungry doesn't mean you have to pull into the fast food place. You can wait. Just because it's there and it's on sale doesn't mean you need it. Wait three days. Well, what if it's not on sale anymore after the three days? Maybe you didn't need it because you didn't think you needed it before you saw the sale. <clears throat> delayed gratification. And if you take this and apply it to all of these struggles that people have in our world today with sexual deviation, if people could learn, I don't need to gratify that desire. I can wait and stay within the confines of marriage. We've got so many people in our churches that think it's okay to go outside the boundaries of marriage. In fact, the trend in most of our churches, most of our people live together, they cohabitate first. And they start having a sexual relationship first. And, and you think, and I don't, think about this. Sensible people would understand this. If you start your relationship with this idea that both of you don't really care about the boundaries God has set for marriage. What do you think is going to happen in your marriage? Neither one of you care about the boundaries. What do you think is going to happen? And, and what happens in our churches is we want to teach our kids to do right. No, you don't cohabitate before you get married. It's Like I said before, if you say it the way you're practicing it, think about this. So you, and what you're saying is, I just want to try them out first. I just want to try her out first. You're using people. How horrible. There's no love in that. Because if you, if, what happens is, when, just like Scripture teaches, when the two become one, that's what happens when people have a sexual relationship. The two have now become one. And they now think that they're a couple. And their brains are turned off, but their emotions are turned high. And so they can't even evaluate whether or not they should be together. They think they're just supposed to be because now they're doing this thing. Now they're emotionally tied. 
So you're not even evaluating if you're compatible or not. No, you're doing this thing. And so what happens is, in our churches, we're full of people that that's what they did. They were having a sexual relationship before they got married, and so now as they're raising their children, they have a hard time doing the do as I say, not as I do. So, you know, they shouldn't, but I can't teach my kids this because I didn't. So now we have this perpetual generational problem in our churches where we're full of people who don't honor God's confines of marriage. And God is telling us in Scripture today, stay away from the sexual deviant. The whole idea of a woman wearing white in a wedding is because she's supposed to be pure. And if we were stuck to that principle, most dresses would be very dark in weddings today, even in our churches. So I'll read you that passage again with... Much seductive speech she persuades him. With her smooth talk she compels him. All at once she follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And you say, well... So what if you just you get to know Jesus better and you grow in your faith? That's a wonderful thing. And now you want to honor the confines of marriage. That's, that's a wonderful thing. But you've still contaminated your relationship with God. So it harms you your whole life. The last part of our passage today, verses 24 and following. And now, O sons... Listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Solomon changes gears. He started out, my son. Now he's saying, Oh, sons. So he started out talking, he's trying to do it individually, and now he's doing it as a group. And we can take it this way. So maybe you take it personal, some of the things that we've revealed that are in Scripture here. Maybe it feels like it was pointed directly at you. Well, good, that's what God wants. But he also wants us as a group, children, listen to what I'm telling you, or it will lead you to spiritual death. We don't want that. Now I'm at the so what, the practical application. There are three things with a couple of sub points under a couple of the three. First of all, don't be led astray by an evil seducer. It's something that happens way more readily than anyone would want to admit. We should not be led astray by our sensual desires. So don't be led astray by an evil seducer. Number two, don't be an evil seducer leading others astray. A, underneath that, if you have to fabricate to entice, it won't end well. In other words, 
it's one thing when you have an attraction to someone and it's, there's an attraction there. It's one thing to take care of yourself, but it's another thing when you begin to pretend to be something you're not to attract someone. It's one thing to change so that you become a better person because this other person is special to you and you're attracted to that person and you think God wants this to happen. So you want to be a better person to please the Lord and to please that person. But to pretend to be something you're not to get that person's attention is not going to end well. Because let's say, let's just let this play out. Let's say you know a young couple and let's say it's the guy who's, who's pretending to be a Christian when he's not. He has no commitment to Jesus. Maybe he even does it this way. Well, I'll take a look at it. I'll attend church, but no commitment. And then she's thinking, oh my goodness, he's going to look at my faith. And the Bible teaches about unequally yoked. We're not supposed to, Christians are not supposed to marry non-Christians. But let's say he tells her, well, I'll, I'll attend your church, but I'm not going to make a commitment. He's given her this idea that, oh, I'll do a little bit so that I can keep your attention. And most cases, as soon as they get married, he's out. He's not going to be there. Football games, whatever it is, he's going to stay home. He never really meant that he was going to commit in the first place. He never really meant he's going to seriously look at it. I just told her that so I could keep her. It's not going to end well. She will live the rest of her married life with him, regretting that decision, thinking that he was sincere when he was simply pretending. B, if you have to seduce, it won't end well. For similar reasons. Because if you have to seduce to get his or her attention, what's going to happen when you're having an argument at home and somebody at work is also seducing? Not going to end well. Number three, model the fruit of the Spirit called self-control. A, master delayed gratification for measurable success. In the book that I recommended to you, they've discovered after studying all these people that if they could master delayed gratification in their youth, they actually wound up in all measurable areas of life successful. Successful at work. Successful financially. Successful in, in relationships. So master delayed gratification for measurable success. You want to succeed in the eyes of God and man, utilize self-control. B, underneath that, hit the pause button. Pray, study, think, then act. Before you do anything, if you can, hit the pause button. Pray about it. Study. Read your Bible to see what God's direction might be. Read other things that might be helpful. Think about it. Maybe pray some more and then act. Because in the end of it all, we all have to stand before God and give an account of the lives we've lived here on earth. Let's pray. God, forgive us when we deviate from your word. Forgive us when we stay away from hard subjects within your word. Forgive us when we 
sin and separate ourselves from you. Help us if we struggle with some of these very uncomfortable matters. God, we do want to please you by how we conduct ourselves. So we ask for your help in doing that, even in this particular subject. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.